0: Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Some people just know what they are born to do. For Supercross star Ken Roxon, it's to transcend his sport and to become the gold standard for world champion. But what happens when a horrific injury is tried to take that away? Twice. How do you approach a destiny that tried to tear you apart limb by limb? Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN's Alyssa Ronick as we talk about how when it comes to being on top, sometimes heart is more important than skill. Now we present Hell and Back on Wheels by Alyssa Ronick.
1: As the first drops of a three-day rain begin transforming the dirt at Michigan's Red Bud Motocross facility into thick gray slop, Fans form a line outside Team Germany's red Honda rig to await the arrival of 24-year-old motocross star Ken Roxon. It's opening day at the 72nd Annual Motocross of Nations, a prestigious race known as the Olympics of motocross. And as the leaves on the eastern redbuds shift from the emerald of summer to the translucent gold of fall, race teams and fans from Austria to Venezuela overflow the hotels and campgrounds of tiny Buchanan, Michigan, turning it into the muddy center of the motocross world. Roxanne's autograph line this October morning is a virtual UN meeting, men and women wearing red, white, and blue Team USA and Team France hoodies, kids waving German flags, and a trio of men dressed in kangaroo onesies with the Australian flag sewn onto the pouches. What unites them is a desire to meet Roxanne, one of the most charismatic and popular riders in the sport and more importantly, the opportunity to catch a glimpse of his hands. "'He's back! Team Germany is in the house!' someone shouts as Roxen emerges from his RV and walks toward the mud-stained crowd, a white plastic chain separating Scrum from Star. The neat line quickly dissolves into a chaotic cluster of outstretched cell phones. "'Toughest man in motocross!' another man yells from the back. "'Let's get this party started,' Roxen says." Six years in the U.S. has polished his German accent to a smooth SoCal timber. He's dressed in crisp white motocross boots over black riding pants and a white and gray flat-brimmed Red Bull cap. His sunshine yellow Team Germany jacket extends past the wrists of new white gloves, leaving nothing exposed. Everything about his look is bright and pristine, precisely the image he wants to project. For nearly an hour, Roxanne smiles and signs everything from T-shirts to posters. He's aware that fans are watching him carefully, scanning his hands for any sign of weakness. When a man reaches for a handshake, he notices that Roxin instead throws an arm around his shoulder and pulls him in for a photo. When a guy in a USA beanie asks Roxen to autograph his program, he notes that Roxen uses his right hand, even though he's left-handed. As he signs, Roxen peppers his fans with rapid-fire questions that leave no time for their inquiries. He's tired of talking about the past, tired of making promises he's not sure he can keep. He'd rather let his riding prove he's still the guy he was before two brutal crashes derailed his career. Besides, he knows the question on everyone's mind. Can Ken Roxon win again? To understand where Roxon is today, it's vital to know where he was two years ago, on the first Thursday in January, two days before the start of the 2017 Monster Energy AMA Supercross season. The top riders in the 450 class, the big leagues of the sport, are seated at tables in Angel Stadium for their annual season-opening media conference in Anaheim, California. To a man, they're dressed in the typical garb of an off-duty motocross pro. Jeans, collared shirt littered with sponsor logos, and a baseball cap fronted with an energy drink brand. And then there's Roxon, Ripping a page from the self-promo manual of Irish MMA star Conor McGregor, Roxanne is wearing a custom navy and red plaid suit, blue paisley tie, light blue dress shirt, and a brightling watch. No hat, no logos. He'd arrived at the stadium an hour earlier, driving a cherry red Acura NSX supercar, a film crew in tow. To say he's confident heading into the season, well, he'll tell you himself. I want to transcend the sport, Roxen says that day. It's like McGregor says, if you dedicate yourself to something, you can do it. I want to be loved, to go further than anybody ever has. When I see people wearing a Ryan Dungey shirt, I think, I will make them wear a Roxon shirt by the end of the year. Roxon has reason to feel like he's on top of the world as the new Supercross season begins, having recently dominated the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Outdoor Series, switched to a new team, and moved into a new home with his girlfriend, Courtney Savage. Nobody had the confidence I did, Roxon says now. I would look down the line at the start and think, you aren't going to beat me, or you, or you. I think they all knew it, too. He easily wins the first two races, beating Dungey, a four-time champ and the reigning Supercross poster boy, by an unbelievable 16 seconds in the opening race. I got into this mindset where it was nothing but the win for me, Roxon says. In week three, he returns to Anaheim, where the rain-soaked track is soft and ruddy and conditions deteriorate overnight. That track would reach out and bite you, Dungy says. On the ninth lap of the main event, Roxen takes a well-worn line into the takeoff of a triple jump, but his bike bottoms out, causing his rear suspension to rebound and bounce him from the seat as the bike launches into the air. For nearly two seconds, Roxen is airborne, his body outstretched behind his bike like Superman. When he realizes he's out of control, he lets go of the handlebars, separates from the bike, and tries to prepare his body for impact. But the first thing you do is put your hands out, he says. Roxon lands nearly 30 feet from the takeoff, the full weight of his body crashing onto his left arm, which crumbles beneath him like an empty soda can. I couldn't move. My arm was wobbly, and it hurt so much, Roxen says. I went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. I thought, F, there goes everything. Roxen is rushed to nearby UC Irvine Medical Center, where trauma surgeons begin assessing the damage to his left arm. His ulna and radius, the bones of the forearm, are broken through the skin, his elbow and wrist dislocated. They took him into a room to pull his arm back into place, and you could hear him screaming throughout the hospital, says his race mechanic, Oscar Weirdeman. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. While Roxon waits for surgery, additional scans reveal the damage to be even more extensive than originally assessed. So his girlfriend and agent charter a private plane to fly him from Orange County to Vail, Colorado, to see Dr. Randy Viola, the hand, wrist, elbow, and orthopedic trauma specialist at the famed Stedman Clinic. By the time he arrives Sunday morning, Roxin has developed compartment syndrome in his forearm, meaning his injuries caused bleeding and swelling so severe that his heart can't pump enough blood to the area and his tissue is starved of oxygen. You have six to eight hours to resupply blood before you lose the arm, Viola says. We were fixing his arm so he could eat dinner, not so he could ride again. To save the arm from amputation, Viola and his team rush Roxin into surgery, where they fillet the tissue surrounding the muscles of his forearm to allow them to balloon and regain circulation. Roxen remembers little about the next two weeks, the six surgeries, or the hospital visits from friends and family. But despite the extreme pain and painkiller haze, he recalls feeling grateful. Court was the one taking care of me, and I valued her so much, Roxen says. This experience made me appreciate everyone in my life. On the nights she doesn't curl up on a chair in Roxanne's hospital room, Savage checks hotel tonight for the best deal in town, packs up her bag and their French bulldog puppy Rio, and takes an Uber to a new hotel. During the day, the couple play cards, update friends and family, and talk about where they want to travel with their future kids someday. They don't talk about motocross, they don't watch races on TV, and they unfollow the Instagram accounts of anyone associated with the sport. Having never been off his bike for more than a few weeks since his first indoor race in Germany at age three, Roxen needs time to mourn the loss of the only life he has ever known. So he quits cold turkey. The last thing you want to do with an injury like that is watch the other guys win, Roxen says. I had no interest. I sheltered myself on an island. Every few days during those first two weeks, Viola wheels Roxon back into surgery to clean his wounds. "'Dirt from the track had been ground into his bones, joints, cartilage, and muscles, "'and tightened the rubber bands around his bandages as the swelling subsides. "'He also inserts an erector set of screws and plates "'to fix the extensive damage to his bones. "'After two and a half weeks, Roxon flies home to Florida for a week "'before returning to Vail for another round of surgeries. "'When I opened him up for what I thought was the final surgery to fix his elbow, "'my heart sank,' Viola says. "'His radial head was sand.' There was nothing to fix. Instead of replacing the missing bone with a metal prosthetic, Viola closes the incision and places Roxanne on the transplant list for a living cadaveric radial head, a progressive idea that could save his career but will extend his recovery time indefinitely as he waits for a donor. The careers of a lot of the best motocross racers end it with a scaphoid or wrist or elbow injury, Weirdemann says. Ten years ago, Ken would have been done. At the end of February, Roxen returns home to Florida 25 pounds lighter and with an external fixator attached to his arm, a metal device that holds his bones in place while they heal. Savage flies home with a diamond ring on her left hand. On the morning of February 17th, a few hours before one of his surgeries, Roxen popped the question over mint tea at a coffee shop in the Vale Village. "'I knew for a while that we were going to be together for a long time,' Roxen says. "'All of this confirmed it for me, and I wanted to propose in Vale." It's a positive place for us. I called her dad from the hospital and got his blessing. As Roxen waits for a donor, his parents visit from Germany. His mother has traveled the world to support him, but Steffi Roxen has never watched her son race. Even as he sprinted through the European ranks, becoming the youngest rider to win a motocross Grand Prix at the age of 15, and the first German-born winner in Supercross history after moving to the U.S. at 17, Muti watched from the rig. The prospect of seeing her only son crash was too terrifying. Before she arrives in Florida, Roxen tries to prepare her for his current state. The first time I saw him, I was crying straight away, Steffi says. He was so skinny and gray. I thought, that's not your son anymore. I gave him a hug and didn't want to let him go from my arms. Roxen also worried that his father, Heiko Klepka, or Papa to everyone in the motocross industry, would be disappointed and angry with him, with the bike, with his team, with the world. My dad is very old-school German. He's stubborn and tough, but he made me tough, too. Held me to a different standard, Roxon says. When he got here, it was emotional, but it was also some of the best times we've had. With me and him, it was always only about racing. That was the first time in my life I was at home and could do something other than work out and go to the track. Instead, he and his family cook dinners, watch movies, and take Rio for walks. In April, two months after Roxen left the clinic, he returns to Vail for surgery number 12. The donor piece is a perfect fit. As he heals at home, Roxen spends six figures on a live-in physical therapist to work with him twice a day. At first, it wasn't about racing, Roxen says. I'm left-handed, and I wanted to use my arm normally again. I had so much pain. I needed someone to work on it all the time. Slowly, as his strength improves, the spark returns. Once I felt healthy and saw clearly again, something grabbed me by the balls, Roxon says. I was laying in the grass on a blanket, listening to a motivational podcast one day, and I thought, that's it. I set my mind to coming back to seek and destroy. His first day back on a bike, however, he can barely hang on to the handlebars for more than a few minutes. He rides in the grass next to his practice track because the dirt is too rough, the pain too extreme. I honestly never thought we would see Ken race again, says Jeff Emig, a former Supercross champ and Fox Sports analyst. I thought it was over. There are many days over the next six months when Roxen might have been the only person who believed he would line up in another start gate. I didn't care what other people thought, Roxen says. I was determined. Looking back, maybe he rushed his return. Maybe he should have waited until the outdoor season in May. Or maybe what happened next would have happened no matter what. Against all odds, Roxon is in Anaheim for the first Supercross race of 2018, knowing the majority of people in the stadium understand the impossibility of his return and the grueling work it took to get here. Roxon is famously open with the media, and his relationship with the public has become even more intimate since his crash, thanks to his willingness to share on social media graphic photos of his injuries, videos of his surgeries, and his innermost hopes and fears. He received so many messages from people saying they were in their darkest times, and he showed them how to keep going, Savage says. He felt he had so much to prove. But in his first practice laps on this January afternoon, it seems the doubters will have their day. Roxan looks stiff and cautious, far from the stylish loose rider of a year ago. He's still about 45 degrees shy of straightening his left elbow and can't move his wrist fully, not to mention the pain. It is difficult to overstate the importance of a motocross rider's hands and arms. The left hand operates the clutch, the right twists the throttle and works the front brake. Together, they anchor man to machine, providing direction and balance while adapting to constant input from the track, the bike, and other riders. It is not uncommon for a rider to lose position in a race simply because he's suffering from arm pump, a temporary but debilitating condition caused by overexertion. To help him hold on to the bike, Roxon adds a thicker, stickier grip to his left handlebar and begins relying on the strength of his right arm, chest, and upper back to compensate. But at least it wasn't his right arm. That's the common refrain after his injury, the supposed silver lining. Because if there is a hierarchy of arms in motocross, the hand that twists the throttle is the hand that rules. Despite his deficiencies, Roxon knows he's lucky to be back. To his friends, family, and the media, He says all the right things. He won't let his highs get too high or his lows get too low. He realizes how much he missed being in the spotlight, walking the pits, and attending team dinners, and he isn't about to jeopardize his second chance by taking unnecessary risks. He says he isn't worried about wins, not yet anyway. He just wants to finish the races, stay healthy, and be in the mix at the end of the season. I just want to be smart, he said. Then he spins the fastest lap in qualifying. I got cold chills, says his practice mechanic, Peyton Stevenson. In the main event, Roxon finishes fourth and follows his debut with three podium finishes in the next four races. He even leads for half the race in Houston. Suddenly, wins don't seem so far-fetched. He decides he's done talking about the crash altogether. He doesn't want to answer questions about his arm ever again. He even requests that race officials pull the crash from his rider intro video. It was almost too easy in the beginning, Weirdeman says, looking back. We were acting like he was back to 100%, and he wasn't. We forgot where we'd come from. In week six in San Diego, Roxen faces the toughest test of his return when Yamaha's Cooper Webb, a rider with whom he had an off-track beef, sets a block pass to overtake him for third in the main event. Roxen retaliates to regain position. But the move was about more than race tactics. It was personal. It was stupid, Savage says. Roxon has replayed the next few seconds tirelessly in his mind, obsessing over the impossibility of what happened in the next turn. One year after the most horrific crash of his life, his back tire spins out in a rut. He leans too hard on the throttle and crashes into Webb. He falls toward Webb's Yamaha, which is lying on its side on the track, still running. In an instant, Roxen's right hand is sucked between the swing arm and spinning rear tire of Webb's bike and spit back out. His jersey is torn, his arm and back are raw with road rash, and the bones of his right hand and wrist are crushed, his ligaments and muscles torn. That, of course, was his good arm. I was going, no, 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 not again, Roxen says. I sat on the track thinking this was probably my last race. I knew how much it took to come back from the first injury— and my left hand wasn't even 100% yet. I didn't know if I could do it all over again. Seven months after the second crash, Roxanne and Savage are home in Claremont, Florida, eating breakfast. Savage woke up early this morning to catch the final moments of last night's full moon and tick some items off her to-do list. The wedding is five weeks away. Roxanne is speaking in German to his mom via FaceTime before heading upstairs for his morning workout, which is finally approaching pre-injury intensity. The procedures to repair the damage to his right hand were, as Viola explains, a piece of cake in comparison to the first, but still extensive. Roxanne's CMC joints, which connect the metacarpals to the wrist bones, were pinned together with screws, plates, and wires. The joint surface of one of his metacarpals sheared off and was floating under his skin, which required a bone graft to repair. He damaged the cartilage and nerves in his thumb and broke a bone in the center of his hand so badly that Viola simply removed it. The emotional toll was more difficult to process. One comeback was hard enough. A second was devastating. But where some riders might have seen the second crash as a sign to throw in the towel, Roxanne saw a challenge. He never complained or asked, Why me? Why again? He just put his head down and charged forward at full speed. A month or so after the surgery on his right hand, we were in Florida, and I saw that thing in his eye again, and I was like... He's going to do this, says Chris Onstott, director of sports marketing at Fox Racing, Roxon's sponsor since 2005. He never wavers. He never complains. Very few guys would have come back from the left arm injury. For him to come back from both is incredible. Remarkably, Roxen returned to the sport this past May, just three months after his crash in San Diego, and raced a full outdoor season. But despite wearing wrist braces and taping his right wrist and thumb, he struggled through severe pain all season, especially in his thumb. I was so uncomfortable, he says. Plus, I'd done five races in a year and a half, and everything felt foreign. It was such an odd feeling, considering I'd been racing since I was three. This time, Roxen made good on his promise to be mindful of his limits and ride smart and steady. He finished third overall at the end of the season. He had a completely different approach, Weirdman says. I wasn't in his ear at races yelling at him to get fired up. I was reminding him to be smart, be safe. Let's build for next season. But Supercross is another beast altogether. Its tracks are bigger, more technical, its stadiums fuller and louder. A 450 Supercross championship is the only title missing from Roxen's impressive resume. When a rider makes an aggressive pass with a win on the line, how will he react? I'm confident but calmer now, Roxen says. I want the championship, but what good is talking about it if I don't make it through 10% of the season? I want to be there at the end, battling for the win. I also want to enjoy some years of racing without getting hurt. I want to enjoy being with Court and our dog. Ultimately, I realize there is life after racing, too. LaRocco's leap at Redbud is the most famous jump on the motocross circuit, a 130-foot uphill test of metal. On every lap, riders have two options. Hit the triple jump with the throttle pinned to clear the entire obstacle, or chop the throttle to break LaRocco's into two jumps, minimizing risk. Add rain and mud to the equation, and the risk multiplies. During Saturday's rainy practice sessions at Motocross of Nations, only two of 90 riders choose to hit Larocco's leap, Gautier-Paulin of France, the eventual winning team, and Roxon. It's a flash of the confident loose rider of a couple of years ago. Ken is willing to do what other riders are not, Emick says. You don't make the decision to throw caution to the wind in practice when the risk to reward is just not there to prove anything to anyone but yourself. It's all about belief. Come May, that might make him supercross champion. That's the thing about Roxanne. Despite all he has been through, he's still that risk-taking rider in the custom suit. He still has that spark. And that's why on January 5th, all eyes will be on number 94 when he lines up in the start gate in Anaheim, wraps his gloved hands around the rubber grips of his handlebars, and attempts to outrace his limits.
0: Joining me now is ESPN senior writer Alyssa Roenick. Alyssa, thank you again for making the time with us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So as I went through this fantastic story you wrote, you um if you're someone you may not believe in curses, luck, or karma, or anything like <laughs> that, but... After hearing everything that's happened to Ken Roxon, like, how can't you?
2: I, I asked him that question because, you know, every. I think that's something that everyone asks of me about him. You know, he he must, does he ride with a bunny, like a bunny foot or a rabbit's <laughs> foot in his handlebars? You know, does he do you have garlic around his neck? And he is just the least superstitious guy. I mean, luck, yeah. He will say I have had some really bad luck. Mm-hmm. Um, which is taken to the extreme. But yeah, it's, I think it's one of those stories where if you want, if there's sort of two types of people, and that's one of the things I learned about him, you could either spend a lot of time trying to read into why this happened to you, why did this happen to me the first time, why did it happen again, and just swirl your brain into a, a really bad place or you could just accept that you hit a rut and sometimes you know you get a good bounce and you fly off the bike and everything goes fine. And that might have happened a thousand times in your career. Mm-hmm. And then one time you hit a rut, get a bounce, and you get flown off the bike and shatter your arm. And you come back and six months later it happens again. And you don't try to read anything into it and, and you just sort of put your head down and try to come back from it. And he's, you know, he'll say, you know, I was raised by a, he's, he's an East German raised by East Germans, with a really sort of black and white view of the world. And he's that second kind of guy He didn't spend a lot of time wondering what did I do to put out into the universe that made these really bad things happen to me? He just, you know, he just looked at the line he took and, and figured out what went wrong on the first on the first crash. The second one was there was a lot more bizarre luck involved in that one. That one I think took him a little more time to just put behind him and say, okay, that was just another freak accident. But in a sport like Supercross, you he's probably avoided a million freak accidents in his life. And so, you know, everyone sort of says you, you have one coming at some point.
0: So yeah, that's I guess um well, my next question was, like, to put it in perspective for people who may not follow this as closely, like, are these all, like, these injuries, like, were these all a result of moves he's just done a million times and this didn't work out? Or was this a, like, or like a one in a million situation? Or was this sort of bound to happen with the way that he sort of races? Both.
2: I mean, the crashing is is bound to happen. And when you have a, you know, the track itself. If you think about a supercross track, the track itself is changing on every single lap. You've got, you've got 20 guys out there, and you know how many how many heats are you running during one race? You've got two, four, six, eight races. So you've got you've got so many bikes on the track that the the dirt itself is changing. The night of the first race, it had rained for a couple days out in LA. It was raining that night, so you have you have to take the rain into account. So, and then you've got all the other riders. You've got you've got a changing track, the bikes changing, the, the guys around you are changing, the line you're taking is changing. So, there's so many variables to a, a Supercross race that you know, crashing. You know, if you if you never watch a Supercross race, the first time you watch one, you might be surprised how much crashing you see.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: sometimes the crashes look bad. Sometimes they are bad the The first crash that he had, it was it was pretty remarkable. I mean, it was a pretty rare crash even in a supercross race um, to get you know to get sent that bounce and sent that high off a jump and then separate from the bike. Um it was pretty spectacular and pretty rare. The second crash was very unspectacular. He you know his his rear tire sort of slid out in a rut. he slid out. The spectacular thing about it was, the fact that the rider who he ran into, he flew off his bike. His bike was laying on its side, still running. And when Roxham fell off his bike, his arm got sucked into the rear wheel, where the rear wheel was swinging and the swing arm, and his hand was crushed. you know. And he sat in the garage and tried to stick his hand into that space, and you can't do it huh. without the momentum of the spinning wheel. So that was... So much more freak than the first accident, really. Um, so crashes happen, bad crashes happen. Those were two strange crashes for sure. But you know he he is someone who rides at the edge. You know he, he will say, "I don't ride above my abilities, but I will ride to the very nice edge of them." And especially uh, in both cases when he's not in the lead and just holding on to that lead and. And then, and riding a little safe, he was was pushing for the lead, pushing to make passes, and in, with a title in mind.
0: So to put this, uh, <laughs> like to put this a little bit more into perspective, also like with these injuries, like, like how extensive and how like like the second one you saying, how freaky it was and like, to have his arm sucked in like that. Like, yeah. How could you? Is there anything in more like in like the like in the more, the major, more mainstream sports like that you could put in person, like what would be the equivalent of that happening? Just like, is this like, like what happened to Gordon Hayward where like he broke his ankle in the first play or when, uh, Paul George like snapped his leg. I mean, is it like, was it that like severe to the point like of his ability to, uh, like, like the rehab and like the rarity of it is, uh, it's just because it seems because and to your point, when you watch these races, like I, if I watch one of these races, I'm, I'm blown away that everyone doesn't walk away from one of these races, at least one racer <laughs> with one of these injuries. Yeah. So I guess yeah, like if you put in the perspective of the other sports, like what like the equivalent would it be of like somebody who, like if this, ha- like if what happened to him happened to somebody like in basketball or the NFL, is this like the kind of thing that would be like the top story and viral story on like sports center? Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, that's something people in the sports say, you know, how could, how could, you know, when I was down in Florida with him, to put it in real some perspective, I was down in Florida with him in October to report this story. And he's coming back now from his second injury. And the day I was down, it was a Monday, that Sunday, Tiger Woods had come back and, and won a, a tournament. And it had been h- however long it's been since Tigers won. And, right, right. you know, it was the biggest story in sports, right? Just mm-hmm. that visual of the the galley following him to that last hole. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm in Orlando, Florida it, at a private motocross track and a bunch of, bunch of mechanics and dads of racers are standing around and we're chatting and they all had seen it. They all had we ta- were talking about it. And they were talking about it because they couldn't believe you know, they were how does this, they were like how does this guy get this much attention? It's just a sore back. Right. Look what Ken's doing. You know, um, they live. You know, I, I was trying to have to explain. You know, Tiger Woods became Tiger Woods before the back injury and yeah. how famous Tiger Woods is. But in their world, they couldn't believe that this was not the biggest story in sports. I mean, it is impossible to overstate the importance of your hands and arms in the sport of motocross. You know, in football. You you could you know you could affect you know there's a football player from the Seattle Seahawks who was born without a, a left arm right. from the elbow down right. Players have amputated fingers and you can play in a big cast that you pad. Sure. In in motocross, you know the dexterity and strength and balance and adaptability required of your hands and arms. I mean your your left hand is you know you're you're shifting you're you're operating the clutch. You're you're balancing the bike with your arms. Your right hand is twisting the throttle. You're working the front brake. There's so much going on with your arms and hands that, you know, riders would say 10 years ago, if you had one of these injuries, if you had a broken scapula, uh, if you had, um, you know, some crush injuries to your hand, you know, riders get arm pumps and lose races. Mm-hmm. So 10 years ago, most of the other guys believe. Would have been done, yep. and once everyone understood what had happened to his arm the first time, he might have been the only guy in the world who believed he was going to come back. I mean, you, talking to the other riders, the experts, his you know his friends, family, even his sponsors, they believe in him because he's he's a determined, hardworking, you know, otherworldly athlete. Mm-hmm but they really didn't believe they'd ever see Ken Roxon line up in the start gate at a supercross race again. And then to come back and, and have the same thing happen to his right hand, which, you know, if you have to choose which of your arms are more valuable as a supercross racer, it's your right hand. And then he goes and crushes that one. Um, To see him line up Saturday night in the start gate. I, I, I don't think there was someone in that stadium who believed of, you know, other than Ken Roach,ing that that was possible, and I heard so many people that night say, you know, like him or not, before all of this happened, and he was a he's a polarizing guy. Mm-hmm. You can't not respect him. You can't not cheer for him now, knowing what he's been through and the way he's dealt with it and handled it, and come out on this side of it.
0: So yeah, that was uh, one of my uh, my questions for you is, where I mean, you, you open the story with the following has with the fans and you know everyone trying to see him, but. Uh, are there people on the other side of that with, even with his success, it seemed that there were some people that were sort of looking to take him down a peg or is now that the stories have come out of what he's actually been through. Is this one of those things where everyone's rooting for him?
2: Yeah I think so. It, it, you know, even, even if you didn't like him, you, you know, like the people, you, you know, guys were yelling at him, you know, toughest guy, I'm not rooting for you, but you're the toughest man in motocross. Mm-hmm. Can't not respect you. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, from the time he came over here from, to, from the, to the U S 1617, he was the the cocky German kid yep. and he didn't vibe with everyone. You know, he's motocross is a, is a good old boy sport and, and he wanted to, and wants to elevate it. And yeah, it did. It rubbed some people the wrong way showing up at a, at a, at the press conferences, wearing a three piece suit. And, you know, he's, he's confident and cocky and he, he's, he says what's on his mind. And mm-hmm. a lot of people love that and a lot of people love to hate that. And so it worked so well because he also sort of crafted himself into this anti-hero um, at a time when Ryan Dungey was the star of the sport
3: mm-hmm.
2: and, and it was such a great rivalry and they had such respect for each other and, Now that Ken's back, Ryan's out of the sport, there's a whole bunch of guys who sort of play that role. And so, but yes, I think now even fans who maybe number 94 isn't their favorite rider, they have such an incredible respect because anyone who's ever ridden a dirt bike knows how incredibly difficult it is. The amount of toughness and strength and mental tenacity it takes to be at the top of this sport and to come back from these kind of injuries, I mean, it, it seems impossible. I mean, I talked to Ryan Dungy about it at Donations, and, and he calls it a miracle. And to have your biggest rivals believe what you've done is impossible and a miracle, uh, I think the rest of the sport just sort of falls in line with that. And, and, and fans have really reacted to him in a, in a really cool way. He, without a doubt, had the loudest cheers of anyone Saturday night in Anaheim at the opening race.
0: I get I mean I get nervous and sweaty when I play like motocross on Xbox. <laughs> so, I mean that says a lot, but I uh I can I mean I can't believe like taking on like, like to the you to your point even when you mentioned like those those triple jumps and people are like, "Oh, maybe they're going to take it slow and whatever." And like only a couple people were like, "Oh, I'm just going to gun it and go over the whole thing." Right. And uh he was one of them. Like so yeah. It's just amazing how he's got this this balance in his head, because as it's evolved. Because I guess the, I guess the next question I want to ask you is about how, while he's been like a veteran of the sport now, like to your point you just mentioned Alyssa, like he came here when he was, you know, 16, 17 years old. So even though he's a veteran, he's still yeah. pretty young, like he's like a kid. And he's twenty-four. Yeah, he's yeah, still young. So going through all this, and my so my question is about. Uh, Courtney Savage, who went from yeah. in the evolution of your story here, from his girlfriend to his fiance to his wife in a very small period of time. But also she's not, you know, older either. So how, how was she all prepared for this? And like, you know, like Roxanne, basically a kid with the weight of their collective future, it seemed like in her lap.
2: Courtney's a little bit older. She's 31. She's, she's, they're both incredibly mature people. Yeah. I will say, you know, if, if, if I didn't tell you how old either of them were and dropped you into, you know, a dinner with them, you, you know, they're some of the most mature people I know. He's, right. he's not a typical 24-year-old, um, but she has, you know, before they met, man, she had her stuff together, and, and, and that, was, that was, I think, one of the things that Ken was really attracted to. Was he? You know, once they started dating, he was like, "Whoa, my life just all of a sudden, my life made sense." And it, it was, I, it was sort of a mess before, mm-hmm. and and she organized my life and organized uh, my brain. And so they were at such a good place when this happened. I mean, the hard thing about it was everything was perfect I mean if you'd I don't think they could have told you we were working on this story before he got hurt mm-hmm. um, the, the initial story I was writing about Ken was supposed to come out the Wednesday after his first crash oh boy that got yanked <laughs> and so I you spent think? some time with them right before this happened and and you, they were that kind of couple that you just wanted to be around uh-huh. and they you know they' were just effortless they just bought a house and but everything was perfect. I mean, everyone would have said he was going to win the title that year. That's a huge deal in this sport. And so when this happened, they they both say they were really prepared for it. And 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 it just brought them so much closer together that they w- it did sort of speed things up. They they knew they were going to be together. She you know she always says I'm the I'm sort of the stick in the mud. I'm the straight arrow. I would, you know, I would never, she, she worked for the agency that represented him. She said no to dating him many, 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 many times Uh before he wore her down and got her to agree to go on a date with him. And she, you know, she says, i never would have just moved to Florida and bought a house with my boyfriend, but with Ken, it just worked. And Mm -hmm. because they knew they would be together. But when this accident happened for him, especially, it just it was like, I, I need to lock this woman down <laughs> Right. because I don't know what I would do without her. And I think they both feel that way. Um,
0: so was this sort of...
2: But I also think their, their lives growing up, you know, prepared them. They're just so much more mature, especially for Ken. He's been essentially living on his own with incredible support from his parents mm-hmm. from a really young age. So he just has a maturity that you don't see in a typical 24-year-old you might meet, you know, interning at, at work or something.
0: So is this, so is that sort mm-hmm. of what leads to, it seems that where he was this, you know, while he had uh Courtney in his life, obviously, he was so focused and driven. And as you said earlier, I mean, like everyone, even he would admit like a little cocky, like basically taking, several pages from Conor McGregor in the process. But now post-injury, how does he balance all in this head where there's one half of him now that's still like, I'm the best that ever is. Like I want to transcend this sport against, Oh, I also want to walk the dog with my wife.
2: That is the challenge. And that is going to be his challenge every single week. You know, when he came back from his first crash, he, I think believed he had that balance
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and he had learned all of these lessons because essentially he really had in, in, after the first crash, right? That's when he realized how important his family and, 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 and and realized there was a life outside of racing, something he'd never really contemplated before because it was all he knew and that he could have a relationship with his dad that was based around something more than racing. And, but then he came back and was, Fast, really quickly,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and sort of forgot it all, and and saw red out on the track, and you know made a, a risky move, and ends up back on the operating table. So the second time, you can see it during a race. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you watch Ken race, you're know, watching him on Saturday. You could just see a few those moments where you realize he's not. He's not doing anything. He's not pushing it to to win the race, right? Mm -hmm. He won his heat race. He he ended up second overall, which is phenomenal. And you can win a championship taking second all season. Right. But, you know, I I think he's also really tired of saying, I'm the best in the world and I want to transcend the sport and I want to be the best there ever was and I want to win. You know, He doesn't have a 450 title. It's the one thing missing from his, Trophy case, and he's tired of of saying all these things, and then not making it through ten percent of the season. Right, and you know, if you think about your position that you're in when you're on a bike, right, your hands are right there in your peripheral vision. They're they're what you see when you look out, and he has this reminder that he almost lost both of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he was at risk of not losing his career, but having his hands amputated. And so it's
0: yeah. You had that great line he, in there where it's like we're not trying to get him back on the bike. We're trying to get him to be able to eat his dinner.
2: Yeah, yeah. Especially the first injury because he's left-handed. Right. And you know that was a that was another challenge. Was you know the hand that was completely dest- the arm that was completely destroyed was the hand his dominant arm. So he he saw what happened. You know he he had a do over. He saw what happened when you come back and don't listen to, you know, what you're saying to the world, what you're putting out to the world. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be smart. I'm going, I'm going to finish the season. So as much as, as I, I, don't believe he's superstitious. I also don't believe he's, he's really willing this time to risk the third chance he's been given. Right. And, and he also realized, that above anything, as much as he loves winning, and it's something that has come so easily to him his whole life, he loves racing and he loves being at the track on Saturdays and signing autographs and high-fiving people and seeing kids wearing his T-shirt and being with his team and going to team dinners and lining up in the start gate and the nerves and the other riders. And if he's not out there, he loses all of that. And so he sort of realized that's what I love even as much as I love winning, I just love being in the mix and it can't be in the mix if I'm hurt. And that's a lot to have in your mind during a motocross race. I think he's really good at pushing most of that out and leaving injuries and leaving that fear at the start gate. Mm -hmm. He's one of the best at it, I think in any sport, but you see him making, and you saw it in the outdoor season this year, you see him making smart decisions.
0: Well, I mean, you've heard um, it, we've heard it all a million times about yeah. how, you know, you take insert sport here comes back from injury, how everyone's looking to see if they're going to play scared as they say it. Like not, like not like scared, right. like, like I'm going to like, I'm not going to make that cut anymore. Or I'm not going to make that pass. Or I'm not going to jump or do that. But it seems that all of this also has, um, I guess to your point, like, you know, going back with the three piece suit, and the McGregor influence, all of this has sort of evolved, um, it seems like he has like a heightened sense of appreciation more where it's involved, it's evolved more from entitlement where like, of course, like you should sort of revere this. Like I'm like the, I'm like the best out there to more appreciation. Where
2: were you during the editing process? (laughs) That is, yeah, that's perfect. That's absolutely true. I absolutely, that's the perfect way from entitlement to, I mean, he has such an appreciation for his fans as well, where yeah, he might have felt entitled to those fans and entitled to their love and their respect. Where now, you know, watching him engage with fans, uh-huh. he you know, he is the guy now who will stand out there till the lights are off and everyone's gone home and sign the last autograph because he's so appreciative that they're still there and that he's yeah. still there and that he's got a hand he's got two hands <laughs> to sign that work. those those posters with.
0: So I get, so, so what, what's the prognosis, like, is he just rewriting, like, the medical, the sports medical journals every day, or is there a prognosis where they're like, no, like, yeah, that's gonna hurt for a while, but like, in a year, if you keep doing what you're doing, like, in the story, how you profile, how you, how you brought in a, uh, a physical therapist, uh, if you keep doing this, like, you're gonna be back, you're gonna be fine. Or is it more like, we don't know?
2: Well, on Saturday, he said, You know, and one of the things I love about him is a couple of things. I mean, one, you know, if he tells you something as his best friend in secret, he'll probably tell the whole world that on Twitter or a journalist. I mean, what you get from Ken is what you get from Ken. And and he doesn't make excuses. And on Saturday before the race, he was like, look, my hands are as good as they were before the injuries. I have no excuse. Whatever happens out there, you can't place this on my on my injuries. Now that said, yeah. his hands are not the same as they were. <laughs> no, before the injuries. Um, it, as far as rewriting medical books, there were some things that Dr. Viola did that were incredibly, especially with the left arm. Um, the the his radial head of his, so the radius of your of your of your arm, the top of that bone where it meets your elbow, the ray is called the radial head. Mm-hmm that part in the story where, you know, he goes to open him up. It was the final surgery and it was Sam. He couldn't put it back together. He's like, I've never seen anything like it. Typically what they do there is they replace it with a metal prosthetic, Mm -hmm. but he knew that the metal on both there, it would, there would be no way he could sustain a a super like a a motocross race with his arm shaking. It just wouldn't work. So they closed him up and put him on a, on a a transplant list for a living cadaveric radial head. Mm -hmm. It was a really progressive idea. It's one he's, you know, it was like an episode of Hal sitting around with, a, <laughs> you know, his co- colleagues. A light bulb goes off. They have this idea. Um, of course, that extended his recovery time until a donor was available. Yeah. Um, and but he believed it would save his career. And fortunately, it was a perfect fit. The recover his body accepted it. It was a perfect um, recovery process. So that, yes, rewrote medical books. That was a really... Um, creative idea by Dr. Viola. And then he talked to me a lot about his mentors and the way in which each of them had influenced him and and in that moment allowed him to have the idea to, to do that. Um, but, you know, as much as he says, you know, everything's back to normal and fine, that's true. You know, to ride a dirt bike, you don't need your arms to straighten to you know, 180 degrees.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You need them, you know, about at 90. You don't need you know full range of motion of of your wrist. You know, he's not a gymnast, so mm-hmm. his left arm still does not straighten. When you stand and talk to him, it you know it's maybe 30 degrees shy of just hanging at his side.
3: Mm-hmm. His wrists
2: don't have full range of motion, um, but he does say the pain that he was experiencing. Over the summer is not there,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and as far as he's concerned, his hands and arms are perfect. And you know, he 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 is getting back to that point of not wanting to talk about it anymore, as he did with the, the first injury. So a lot of times, he says he finds himself when people say, "How are how are the arms? How are the hands?" He just says, "Perfect,
0: I'm perfect." So and leaves it at that. So my last question would be. If for some reason, like you know, some condition or another, God forbid, another accident causes like this to all go away, for does cause this to all go away from? Do you think Ken and Courtney are just prepared for that? Like if it all goes away, like we've come back and we've learned to appreciate what we had, and if it all goes away, like we're ready to move on to the next thing.
2: I do. I think race fans will have a harder time yeah. dealing with you know a permanent disappearance of Ken Roxon than at this point Ken Roxon would have. Um, I sure hope that doesn't happen, but yeah, I mean, it's a good question, but I do think that they are now prepared for whatever comes their way, and and because he'd prepared himself twice for the possibility that his career had ended. I think he's mentally prepared for for that if it becomes a fact of life. But man, I, sh- I I sure hope it doesn't happen because this weekend was it was sure a lot of fun to see him back out on the bike, mixing it up with the you know with the other best guys in the world.
0: Well, it'll be great to watch because I mean, sports movies don't lie. Everybody loves a comeback, right?
2: <laughs> Everybody loves a comeback. Everybody does. True.
0: Alyssa, and thank you. A st-
2: second comeback.
0: Yeah, exactly exactly yeah very uh like for example there's no sequel to Rudy like everybody you know <laughs> you don't usually get a sequel to a comeback movie so yeah
2: al- I mean and, he, and that's what's amazing about his story is you usually don't get a second chance or a third chance so um I think he's gonna make the most of it
0: well we'll be watching Alyssa thank you once again for your time
2: yeah thanks so much
0: Mike alright take care Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.